Hi, I'm Oliver Lennon and welcome to the Sendeo podcast, uh, where we delve into all things conversational AI with some of the sharpest brains from some of the most innovative companies in the world of customer experience. These are not a series of interviews, but conversations, um, regular discourse designed to provoke, educate and enlighten the business professionals with insights, learning and guidance on leveraging conversational AI to deliver meaningful CX. Today I'm joined by John Lush, who is responsible for improving the performance of Google's worldwide support um, across a number of product areas. Insights from John, um, obviously Google being preeminent in the large language generative AI field um, in terms of how Google themselves are using this technology. And it is very much a case of um, prototype, prove the concept and then deploy. And, and the fact actually John has pointed out some of the proof of concepts that built haven't delivered what they had hoped or expected to uh, deliver. Um, John, again, you know, very much taking a, a much more considered approach to the leveraging or implementation of this technology. Um, you know, it's not always the case that it has to be implemented, but you have to do it with the right approach, very much considered. And again, considering other channels that are, still available in the customer service will continue to be uh, very prevalent and relevant largely due to regulation so email voice will con- will continue so John talking about very much how that will be deployed um, but I suppose the ultimate takeaway from John is when we peered into the world of Leonardo da Vinci and the quote certainly the quote of the year which I'll use uh, going forward is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication I think that's the challenge that John ultimately strives to deliver in any organization that he's been with from a customer service perspective. A great lesson from John today. Enjoy. John Lush, you're very welcome to the Sendeo podcast. Long time no see. You're looking as fit and healthy as ever. For those of you who can't see him, take my word for it or or join the YouTube channel and you'll see him. How are you? Thanks, Oliver. Yeah, uh, I'm in great form now. Uh, Got the uh, summer out of the way. Getting back into the routine, uh, early mornings, kids going off to school, and uh, and and also getting ready for the start of another hockey season. Still Sport, Sports is a recurring theme on this podcast. Actually, we've had uh, international cricketers. Um, we've had people following the French rugby team, and of a small bet coming up, obviously in the next couple of weeks, as will it be a, a blue or a or a green victory. Um, I'm I'm hoping that it's going to be. Green, but um, you're still playing hockey, um, and I say that with a little bit of um, question in my voice because I'm not going to give away your age, but you're not quite as old as I. But you've been around it for a number of seasons, shall we say? I'm still playing, yeah, and uh, I had the honour of uh, pulling on the green jersey over the summer uh, with uh, one of the Irish Masters age groups. It starts at over 35s and then moves up in five-year increments. Uh, and that was uh, a, a brilliant experience. Uh, so that's part of the motivation uh, that keeps me going, uh, as well as uh, as well as working with all the the kids uh, in the club as well. And uh, my my uh, two boys play, but Connor in particular plays in the club. And uh, next season he'll be fifteen and eligible for senior hockey. So uh, it would be nice if we uh, if we both. Uh, get to play on the same team together. Uh, so that's, that's something to look forward to as well. Um, be careful what you wish for. I have that. 
privilege, pleasure, or <laughs> with my own son a couple of years back, um, which was great. Actually, I was actually managing the team at the time, and uh, we played together. But he did stop halfway through the game and tell me to either manage the team or play, do one or the other. But <laughs> I should leave the pitch because he was also captain of the team at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, uh, yeah, that'll be Connor all over as well. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's a great experience actually, obviously to to be able to do that whenever you you get on a little bit and you have that pleasure. But um, hopefully you will pick up with that. Um, John, let's start. I suppose you, you're with Google. Give us a little bit of background. But you're with Google at Google at the moment, um, and you're mm-hmm. running part of their mm-hmm. global support, I think. Um, so like to explore a little bit around clearly what your role is at the moment. Um, and also, mm. there's obviously a lot of discussion around generative AI, large language models, and obviously Google being a significant uh, player in that space. Um, so just a little bit of background, I suppose, to even your career, because we've known each other um, for quite a few years, various telcos, um, right up to the present day. So you want to give yeah. us a bit of background um, and then we can delve into a little bit more around what you're doing at the moment and your thoughts on the industry in general. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, so, yeah, I I suppose if I, you know, go right back to the start and my, work my way back towards where I am now, um, I uh, started out in... Uh, in the industry and, and, and my, my career really, um, you know, having worked many different part-time jobs, including selling hot dogs and furniture and moving all that sort of thing, washing dishes. Um, my first real job out of college was working in a call center uh, in, uh, in Vodafone in uh, Leopardstown on the, the prepaid help desk. Uh, and um, from there, you know, I've, basically amazingly uh, stayed in the same industry um, for the next 20 plus years. Um, uh, so from there, I was four years at Vodafone Ireland, as I said, started in the call center, um, worked my way up into the kind of back office uh, management functions and um, got involved in the world of IVRs and telephony and CRM and uh, then uh, uh, very nicely somebody, uh, some visitors from Vodafone New Zealand uh, came over and met me and asked me if I'd be interested in going over and working for them. So uh, I thought about it and uh, not for too long. Uh, and, <laughs> I was going uh, to say, was it a long thought process or was it, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it came down to. Why wouldn't you? Like any any move like that's daunting. But um, yeah, why why wouldn't we? So uh, my my girlfriend at the time, who we'd only been together, you know, for about six months, we we said, right, we'll do it. And uh, long story short, we went to New Zealand for two years, stayed there for six, got married, had two kids, uh, and 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 then eventually pitched it back in Ireland. But um, so when I was working. In, I worked for Vodafone New Zealand um, for that time, also working in the customer service function for Vodafone New Zealand, doing some work on telephony um, with Genesis uh, and uh, Nortel and Avaya. Um, And also then at that time, kind of social media and online chat were coming. Um, 
on board and, and, and becoming more of a part of customer service offering. So started uh, uh, managing, working in that space as well, both from a technology perspective and also helping with some of the operations. Um, and um, then when I moved back um, to Ireland, um, I worked, I spent a little bit of time with Accenture and then moved on to, spent five five years or so with Aircom, now Air and Meteor. And that's where uh, I met you, Oliver, and, and the rest of the team at Speedstorm. And, and, and we, had, we had some great times and, and did some really, really enjoyable and satisfying work on the, um, on the IVRs and, and sorting out, uh, you know, what had been quite a difficult, cumbersome um, uh, customer experience mm. from a Stephanie perspective and really kind of revamping that. Um, at, at Aircom and Meteor, also then the, the work that I'd done in Vodafone New Zealand really helped because um, they were looking at social media and communities and online chat um, and had partnered with some of the big uh, technology cloud providers in that space like LifePerson. Um, and uh, we did a lot of work there kind of transforming and um, Aircom and Meteor's customer service and sales from what has been predominantly telephony-based um, offerings to a much wider range of digital service and support. Um, so that was also very exciting and also a really interesting time. And, you know, I suppose I started out in telcos when they were really exploding. Everybody was getting a mobile phone and, and been through that whole cycle, growth cycle, and then at our common media, you know, it had started to, I guess, started to become less exciting, started to, some of the products are a bit more homogenous, um, starting to mature, um, and uh, uh, so the opportunity came up to work uh, at Google, um, which I jumped at, and I've been at Google now for uh, nearly seven years. Um, so at Google, I... Um, Keeping the trend, still working in the customer service function. So the biggest, um, uh, most of Google's customer service uh, is centered in a, in a function team called GTech. Um, so I work in GTech and I work on the, in the area of GTech that mainly focuses on consumer support. So the Google services um, that you or I just as a regular um, puncher on the street uh, would be using in their daily lives. So Gmail, Maps, Search, obviously, um, and, 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 and hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of other products that, that, I, I can only imagine. Uh, that come with us. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember when I was when I was doing the you know looking at the, doing the job interview. I went, okay, let's let's have a look at Google support. And then, like, you know, you go to support.google.com. There is nine, I think, main products on the support homepage. And that's, like, the next the, the products. Mostly, I think probably all are products with more than one billion users. And then if you click on the show more products, then, like, a long page uh, uh, appears with many, many, many more products underneath. Yeah, I mean, and, and we'll... Um... 
delve into that a little bit, but if we if we come back yeah. over the history, um, obviously with the likes of, I mean, a lot of telco backgrounds. Not even thinking about it myself when you were chatting there. I mean, when we, you know, many years ago got involved initially with Aircom, they were one of the first. Now this was in the mid two thousands or maybe early two thousands. One of the first European telcos mm-hmm. to actually use speech to, speech enabled. IVRs. Um, so again, you know, at that time they were pushing the boundaries. And you mentioned Vodafone on one of the recent podcasts. We had a lady from Vodafone UK, Nat Walker, and what they're doing in in the UK and Vodafone globally with the Toby chatbot. Again, they're pushing the boundaries. So yeah. that, I guess, that industry in particular, you know, there's a lot of you know constant reinvention and pushing the boundaries around the technologies. You know, from and you mentioned some of those, obviously, the voice world moving into the social media chat. Um, I mean, how, how have you seen that evolving? And thinking about things like social media and chat, I don't know, maybe 2013, 14, 15, it seemed to be it was going to revolutionize lots of things. I'm, I'm not entirely sure it has. Now, obviously, it, it has, but voice is still whatever, 60 to 70% of interactions from in, in general for most organizations. I mean, what have you seen yeah, through yeah. that time and, and, you know, that evolution of technology? And we're obviously coming into another evolution, I, I could almost say. Yeah. So from a social media perspective, I, I, I totally agree. Like, I, you know, and particularly when you work in vendors, you know, we'd have a lot of... Um, industry people, a lot of sales people coming to us saying, you know, social media is the be all and end all. It's going to take over everything. You know, you need, um, you need, you need to be doing all of these things and buying our software to, to, to do them. That's, um, that's what and I, you know, it? I think, well, look, yeah, yeah. And I, I've worked with a lot of, a lot of vendors, uh, over the years and, you know, had some huge successes by bringing, um, their expertise and their technology in, but at the same time, some things have worked, some things, some things happened. Um, and in terms of social media, you're right, it was really hot topic. And I think now that we look back, it has probably hasn't become um, the mainstream support channel uh, and hasn't had a like direct impact on the bottom line or operations, at least, at least from a customer service and sales and customer experience perspective, like it is important, but it's not the be all and end all. And, and to be honest, it's probably in my experience here anyway, like it's still a relatively niche part of our overall operation, as you said, like the, the, um, the, the core of our support offering and operations is still, um, at least for humans involved, is still a, you know, your traditional phone mix of phone, chat, and email. Um, where social media is and continues to be very useful is it's a great channel to be able to identify emerging issues. So something's gone wrong. Um, often that's one of the first places you'll find out about. Um, it's great 
or can be really important for handling escalations. Um, and like either directly offering support and allowing people to come to you or, or, or otherwise monitoring what's going on and, 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 uh, and picking out where users need help. Um, it's also really can be really powerful for generating, in, generating insights and feedback for products um, uh, to improve their product, to improve their features, uh, to improve the, the processes around them. And it's also um, very useful from a, a you know an education perspective, so proactively pushing out information, uh, tutorials, recommendations, just to make sure that people are uh, making the most of the, the services. And have you any view on you know why you think the you know over that whatever ten fifteen year period that you know, that type of social media messaging support hasn't gained the traction that we expected? Is it overhyped on the vendor side? Is it poor implementations? Or is it complexity of support issues that have to be resolved? Or all of the above? Yeah, well, I think it's, the right it's kind of like an integration thing or a control thing like social media obviously there's the different platforms whether it be twitter or uh, facebook or instagram or, or or whatsapp um you know they are they have their own platforms they have their own way of working they have and every user has their own profile which whether it's google or aircom or vodafone uh you know that's separate so that creates a barrier. That creates a barrier. So we, it's very, it's hard to know um, who the user is, um, and that's so that's one disadvantage. Whereas if they're coming, if your customer is coming to you via via your website or via your app or via the phone, you'll generally know who they are, and that allows you to then personalize the experience, gives you more control over it. Um, and um, uh, because otherwise it's just, so it can be very, especially for a company like Google, like it can be almost impossible to manage. Like if you opened it up on social media and said, Hey, come, we'll help you come and talk to us. Yeah. Like you're going to have billions of people uh, and, and you, it's just unmanageable. Whereas when you have your own, processes and support channels set up then you, you can customize them and tailor them and control them in a way that you can't on, on social media yeah i mean that's interesting and you know just looking at your role as well i think your role has evolved a little bit within google so you're more yeah. i paraphrase maybe and you can correct me you're more of an evangelist uh, on a global perspective then in terms of <laughs> how to deliver and implement innovation within support is that is that a fair, yeah, fair yeah. so if you give me the proper title on it then well, it's, part of, it's part of it's part of what I do like you know um, I uh, my role at Google has evolved so when I started I was working on the EMEA looking at the EMEA uh, support experience for our contact center based support um, for all of the products that we do offer um, agents contact 
capture based support, one to one support as we call it, um, to to customers. Um, and then I started working more um, on, and I was working on lots of different products. Then I started um, change teams and was working on specific products like Play, and um, and and looking at not just the contact center experience, but also um, you know our, the the help center, the social offering, the um, uh, and 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 the more holistic end to end support experience for those products. And then I also did, did a bit on the hardware, um, the Pixel phones and the Google Store and so on, same sort of thing. Now I work with, um, I'm aligned to one particular product area, and that's uh, it, it's the product area that's all focused around your Google account. Okay. So every, everyone who uses, pretty much everyone who uses a Google product has a Google account. Many people would just think of that as their Gmail you know, account or their Gmail address. But you know there are some users who use uh, who might only use search or mm. yeah, maps or, or whatever it might be, and they have they have a Google account as well. And so that entity, that account, um, you know, is very important and um, uh, in, impacts how you use all of the Google products. And um, in particular, if you lose access to that account, then that could be, excuse me, that can be a very sensitive and distressing issue. So we do a lot of work to try and make sure that users are um, aware from an account security and privacy perspective of, of what information um, they can provide to make sure that they don't get locked out of that account and to make sure that some they're not um, uh, opening themselves up to be hacked um, and so on. So that's the team that I work with, and we look at the support experience for your Google account. And yeah, they come to me with problems. Here's some problem. Here's the problem that we have: the account, the recovering your account, forgetting your password is one big one, but there are many others. And then I work with them to come up with well, what what kind of solution, what kind of technical solution are we gonna are we gonna build and create to to address this this problem. So that, that's what I'm doing now. And, you know, we have billions and billions of Google accounts. Yeah, of course. So uh, uh, it's, it's a really interesting uh, challenge. And leading on to that, the, the types of technologies and solutions you're using, I mean, obviously, large language models, Gen AI, it's, it's very topical, has been now for almost 12 months, I guess. And obviously, Google are a significant yep. player in that space, um, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. again, do you guys internally start to use some of your this type of technology? Do you play with this technology? Do you pro- you know push it out for proof of concept? And what what sort of things are you doing in this space to leverage or as they saying go to eat your own dog food? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we uh, we certainly are. Um, yeah, have a lot of uh, people working on this topic at the moment. Um, you know, we've been aware of it for, for quite some time. Obviously, I guess it was the Chat GBT launch, which has really kind of accelerated it and, um, and exploded it, you know, from a media perspective yeah. um, and an industry perspective. But you know, we we had already been working on it. 
um, for quite some time. Um, and uh, so we do have some pilots. Uh, if you're talking, you know, specifically about the, the Gen AI chatbot mm. experience, we do have some pilots currently running today um, on, um, on our help centers. So uh, on some of our parks. So um, uh, we've so far, I think, on, on Google Play and Gmail would be two of the products where we have been, um, uh, we, are, we are running pilots for certain users anyway um, and offering that support experience um, to users. Uh, and um, our hope is that in the future, we can scale that to yeah. more and more products and build on it and improve the experience um, for the benefit of for the benefit of our users and and, and, and also for, for the benefit of Google. Um, so that's one example: chatbot experience on the help centers. We're also doing things like running and, and running pilots um, to help our agents. Mm-hmm. So doing things like presenting the agent with a summary of the case that's been created um, based on what has happened leading up to that point, um, providing agents with suggested responses. Uh, and we're also looking at things like, you know, how can we summarize help center content into like snackable um, snippets so uh, rather than having to use FAQ type approach is that knowledge based fitting that out or yeah. fitting it into the agent? A uh, bit, bit of both actually. Yeah. So we, um, so as a user, you might go um, see you know our help center, and if you go to support.google.com, you'll see many, many different articles on different topics, and some of them are quite long. So you know it is it can be useful just to kind of summarize that. Yeah. And then if, if that if that solves the it could give the person the answer, great. If not, then they can start reading through the rest of the detail. Uh, and same for the agent. Like they, you know, same they would have KB, which sometimes actually uses exactly the same mm. articles, but they often don't want to read through everything. They just want they're looking for one nugget of information. So we try and figure out what that is and and present it to Yeah, I mean and you know, obviously Google is a major vendor in this space in terms of the technology and you're right in what you say i mean open ai and chat gpt have brought it to the public attention but the underlying technology was really created by google probably about four years before um yeah. and probably yeah. just didn't launch it to the consumer base in the same way as open ai have done but um you know so i think you're right the technology has been around for for more years than people actually um or in the general uh world understand it's been around for a bit longer than just you know, ChatGPT creating something last whatever November time, but if you if you put your your hat on as a consumer, you know, as a as you're part of the organization utilizing and leveraging this technology, Sam, what are the sort of I was going to say frustrations, and this is not just about Google technology because it's the same general principle regardless of who creates the large language model and the amount of hype, but from your perspective as as a user and in, in that and in that someone's going to put it into play within the organization. I mean, what are the things that you're yeah. scratching your head about and worrying about and going, well, if you know, or have concerns about, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So first of all, obviously everyone's very excited about this and the opportunity it presents, and you can see that when you start playing around with these tools. Um, however, if you, and, and, and this was very true in the early days, especially the early days, like if you go and start playing around with ChatGPT or Bard.google.com, you know, Google's um, version, like you can get some pretty crazy, the right word, you can get mm-hmm. some pretty interesting results and, and information that's just maybe lots of information that's correct, some information which is kind of correct, and then sometimes just information that's just not, you know, that is incorrect. And so that's a that's one big risk, right? You can't, we can't just suddenly, everyone's very excited about it, everyone wants to get it out the door, but we can't just suddenly launch it and have it start giving information that's incorrect. Um, so, and a bit like speech recognition, maybe, you know, that's where these models need to be tuned, constantly tuned, audited, reviewed, tested um, over quite a long period of time uh, and, and beta, beta trialed and so on until we do have that level of confidence. And obviously a lot of it's probably to do with where the information is being sourced from as well. If it's coming from trusted sources, then it's more likely to be, um, to be accurate. Um, so that's one, that's, that, that's two things. Right? We're very excited, everybody wants to get it out there, but we have to be careful. And it really is taking time. Like mm. as, as you said, it's been around for years, we've known about it for years, but you know, we're still at the pilot stage. Um, we are being very careful about this because we want to get it right. Um, I think the, you know, probably one other thought I had was generative AI is, and, and chatbots, that's one interesting and exciting way of offering, mm-hmm. of automation, automation basically. Um, but there are, there, we've been, or we've been doing automation and, and using AI call it AI, but, you know, for years. Yeah, so yeah. we have many, many more automated self-service options, experiences, which have been live for a long time um, and are, you know, at this moment in time, a much more important and powerful part of the support offering that we um, that we provide users today. So like, yeah, when we were working together, that would have been, um, you know, IVR self-service would have been one of those components. Um, and at Google, like we have things like play re- refunds workflows in the health center, um, uh, where if a user has bought something on play and for whatever reason, they're, they, they're looking for a refund, they want to effectively return it, you can do that in our help center. You don't have to go into the product. There's an automated um, workflow that will verify you, take you to the process, and, and give that and make the decision um, on, on the refund. Right. So, and there's, we also do that for our Pixel devices. Like we have diagnostic workflows where information is passed from the Pixel phone through to the help center. We then run a workflow and tell users what we think is wrong, yeah. what they need to do. 
do to fix it. So all of that, and we continue to work and invest in that, to me is just as exciting and is just as much an opportunity as as chatbots are exciting, exciting as they are. Um, and I think <coughs> as a consumer, as a regular, you know, Joe so like I'm sure you've done it too. Like I've tried out lots of chatbots already and like I've had some really, I've had very mixed experiences. Um, and yeah, some really poor experiences and some quite good experiences. Um, and, I think when, you know, based on the good experiences, I think we're right to be excited. Mm. At least me, who's a relatively, you know, technical, non-technical person um, who likes, who's interested in this type of stuff. But I think we have to be also mindful that, you know, there are many, many people out there who have no interest and in fact have an aversion to chatting to a robot. And at the end of the day, to be honest, would just prefer to speak to somebody. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's very true. If you think of it, very true in terms of uh, the Irish consumer, but even more so if you think about the world, um, if you think about, you know, India obviously is a huge market for us. Many, a whole range of different people, different cultures, different levels of um, uh, of ability in terms of uh, writing and uh, reading and writing and and so on so uh, it's not a silver bullet right it never these these types of things never are but it is nevertheless it is it, it is itself yeah I mean it's um, lots of things were coming into my head while you were uh, chatting there about some of those points and um, you know the approach as you said to automation it's in my mind it's, it's not you know it's the same as we, we were considering 20 years ago it's around trying to understand what it is you want to automate and the best modality I mean I was involved recently with a back to the telco days with a broadband, broadband provider and um we were looking at a review of what they were doing in an IVR, what they were doing digitally, and some of the recommendations I was saying, well, Touchtone works perfectly well in an IVR for that particular scenario. Now, it may not, you may not come across, or the perception that you may not come across as innovative and leading if you're still using, but ultimately it's about you have to step it back to the experience of the consumer as opposed to yeah. what you want to present as a brand. And, and all of these technologies, I think it's the... The utilization or mixing and matching, if you will, to use them for the best possible outcome. And if that's from the consumer perspective, that's normally about getting some form of task completed or resolution to some problem that they have encountered. And even as you were chatting there, I was thinking about, you know, you, you talked about earlier in the world of social media, that preemptive approach. So if, if you can actually identify issues before the consumer becomes aware and fix them, that's a much better form of I'm going to call it a self-service it's not self-service because the customer or the consumer never needs to do it but you're using technology such as AI to do that and it's a much better experience from using the product or service as a consumer rather than having something go wrong and then retrospectively the organization tries to react to that 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's very unusual that a customer actually wants to to phone or talk car, to you, or, talk to you yeah. or, or contact you. Um, you know, ideally, they buy the product, they use the product, they never need to talk to the company again. Um, if something does come up, most of the time, they are happy just going onto the website, finding finding the information they need, sending on a quick request, um, and 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 if they can't get that quickly, then yes, they 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 will because they have to um, contact you yeah. um, directly. But um, yeah, we are, it's, it's within all our, all our interests, the companies and and consumers, to get this right. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to understand a little bit around you know the internal pressures, for want of a better word, that you know, that you're that from within your support organization within Google um, to leverage and utilize these technologies. Because again, you know, the senior leadership team, and again, I've seen it in different organizations in the last six to 12 months has been, a, we need to be using generative AI. We need to be doing something with it now. Um, do, do you see those pressures within your own organization? And, and how do you respond and how do you deal with them? Given that, you know, you know the technology, okay, you're not into the, the ones and zeros, but you understand the limitations of the technology, what it can or cannot be used for, mm. and how do you avoid that sort of rush mm-hmm. to, um, yeah, let's get something out because we want to be using this technology? Uh, well, I, you know, this is where uh, uh, a, a strategy really comes becomes really important, like a clear strategy a clear vision um, around what your organization um, wants to achieve, what the priorities are, um, and then, you know, more tailored, um, and, and then a more tailored strategy for each individual function or, 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 or product. Um, where you identify the problems, uh, and what each product, what Google overall, and then what each product is trying to achieve, and then identify the full range of solutions mm-hmm. that could be used to to address those. Um, and that's a big part of my job to work with the um, the teams, the the product support managers and the management teams. To, to set out that plan um, so that um, they are clear on what the um, what the different options are and that they are clear that there's the range of different options that are available and then they can provide their feedback on what they what they're more interested in and, and, and whatnot and then you know that's that's all brought together. And at the end of the day, this is, there is also a sort of capacity angle to it as well, um, and a priority angle to it as well. Like we can't build all of these solutions and all of these projects. We have a limit, like every yeah, other company, yeah. we have a limited um, workforce. We have a limited capacity. Um, some solutions are more important for, you know, might be more important for one product than another. Um, and so then there's, there's, you know, there's a bit of negotiation to be done. And eventually then we, we, we 
agree, well, this is what the roadmap looks like um, for the next 12 months and then for the next three months. And obviously, then there are some things that are further out that might take a bit longer. So as long as we're then all aligned, um, uh, then that avoids that kind of scramble. I mean, you're obviously still going to get it, but it avoids that kind of scramble. Um, for uh, you know, I, I need we need this now because yeah. everyone else is doing. Yeah, I was I was going to say. I mean, that you know the the approach and the theory of it all sounds absolutely plausible and the right thing to do. How much pressure do you see coming within your own organization or indeed other organizations to say, well? I know our, our roadmap for the next six or 12 months was to do X, Y, Z, um, but we now need to change that roadmap. We need to, particularly I'm, I'm thinking about it from the, you know, the advances that's happening in the technology space around generative AI. How much pressure do you see yeah. coming on that? And do you find yourself sometimes being the, um, I can say the naysayer in the corner as in, well, that's perfectly fine, but here's a trade-off or indeed the technology is not quite right yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm in that position a lot because I, and this is, you know, I've kind of sat in that position for a long time in my career where I'm sitting between the technology teams and the business teams and, 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 and making those trade-offs and negotiating and talking to each party and bringing them together. Um, so definitely, there are there are times where uh, the particular request that the business has um, just can't be delivered, either because technology is not available or limitations. There are some limitations to the available technology, or the use case is just not quite right. Or they're just the, the, the capacity isn't there right now, and we have to join mm-hmm. the queue. Right? There's, there's, that's that's very common. Um, but then you know, there's always um, there's always well, not always, but a lot of the time there are kind of workarounds and things that we can do in the meantime. So I'm always trying to think about what we can. You know, launch and iterate. What can we yeah. do as a phase one just to get something off the ground and then show its value and then build on it? Um, so that's that's generally the, the approach I take. Yeah, that, that prototyping agile approach because you can't obviously be rigidly stuck or, or set on a plan that, you know, and certainly I think in this world at the pace of change, um, with a lot of the technology, and I think you know it literally is changing um, mm. week by week. Then you know having that agility, I guess, which is another challenge thrown to, which maybe wasn't as prevalent a number of years ago, but certainly another challenge thrown no. into the mix to say, well, yes, I know that was a strategy, and yes, I know we're following it, but actually, we really do need to adapt, change, or take into recognition what this piece piece of technology, generative AI or indeed any other one, can bring for us or for our consumers? Yeah. Because yeah. we have that challenge right now, right? That the, the products I listed that are piloting it today, like my product's not one of them. So obviously my product wants to 
wants to be there and get that get get onto that roadmap and get get pilots up and running. But you just gotta be patient. And I was just gonna start to look forward a little bit. So obviously, you you've been through mm. without going too much into the number of years. But you know, you, you we've talked about social and chat and you know 10 15 years ago on voice speech recognition is this yeah hype and i'll use that word and i'll use it in inverted commas is the hype that's around generative ai and large language models particularly in the customer service space is it hype or do you do you think it actually is some people are saying this is a you know it's a turning point or a tipping point you know it's going to radically change and I'm maybe seeing that more from the vendor side as opposed to it would be interesting to hear from from your side as a uh, you know sitting on the uh, side of the fence as someone mm. who looks to leverage and use these technologies as opposed to sell them. But do you think it's a, it's a hype or overhyped, or is it a changing, or is it something that's radically going to change what we're doing going forward? Well, that's the question. I mean. Based on my experience, and you've mentioned social media, and you know, uh, I, I remember a similar excitement um, around speech recognition as well, and you know, a variety of other uh, technologies. There is, I mean, the, the the hype around those things. You know, it never turns out to be. Uh, what it hasn't anyway so far these technologies haven't maybe had haven't had the same impact and transformational impact at least immediately on um, on, on customer service and customer experience um, so but however if it, at the same time as you say if I, if I look back on the uh, 22 or three years, whatever it is, um, like things have changed quite a bit. Um, like chat in particular is a lot more prevalent uh, and a lot more common um, mm. than when I first started out. Um, and um, you know, chat and, and written support in general, you know, obviously has a lot of advantages, a lot of advantages from, uh, from a company's perspective, because, um, that allows you to potentially automate part of that. Uh, it allows a lot more automation opportunities potentially than, 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 than voice had in the past. Um, just with a lot of the new capabilities that are that are available, um, so you can automate part of that conversation. You can automate the first couple of steps. You can use personalization. Um, uh, you can introduce the element of asynchrony, <laughs> synchronous, um, uh, to make it more convenient um, from the user. Um, so I think that's definitely something that has. But, but at the same time, like, there's still a, you know, voice and email still plays uh, a really important role. So it's not like chat just suddenly come along or asynchronous messaging has suddenly come along and everything else is gone, right? It's just the mix is 
the mix has changed. Um, and if you think about like one of the one of the reasons why um, regulation is an interesting element to that, right? Because a lot of the regulations, whether you know we've been through quite a few now the last ten years or so, uh, GDPR. Uh, ND4C, DSA, DMA, you know, they're, we're right in the thick of those at the moment. Like these are um, predominantly European regulations, which actually in some cases mandate um, the need for uh, uh, the option for a user to be able to uh, either phone or email a company um, and have those options like plainly mm. available. Um, so that's also one reason why voice traditional channels are, are, are not going away either. Um, okay, so what was that then? Then where that was looking back. So, so I suppose looking uh, forward. Looking forward, I mean, do you think you know it is going to revolutionise, yeah. or is it just? I suppose a continuation of a, a trend or a, a an evolution yeah, of innovation I, I, we've been on for maybe fifteen plus years. Yeah, I I, I do. I, I I think it's an evolution and it's going to take time. Um, and I do think like um, live chat and then asynchronous chat, um, that it will start to play uh, a much. A, a more important role and take more of that, you know, that channel mix um, away from from other um, other channels. Um, but you know, my my so, and I remember one of my first managers, Justin Connery at Vodafone Ireland. One of the first things he said to me was, "Like, you know, we're constantly focusing on what can we automate, what can we." What efficiencies can we gain? But that, in general, doesn't necessarily mean that your um, the size of your contact center, your organization, is going to reduce. Because the experience, at least over the last twenty years, tells us that those things are just going to be replaced. Yeah. Right? They're going to be replaced by you're automating simple stuff. And then the more complex stuff gets replaced by more complicated yeah. stuff. You know, new products, new offers, new features, um, which at first anyway won't be automated, uh, and, and and users will need to contact you about those. So, uh, you know, what Justin said to me all those years um, proves to be the case today. And I don't know about you, but whenever I go and visit a contact center, and something that I really always really enjoy and learn a huge amount, what well, I guess every time I'm reminded and my main takeaway is that the typically the cases and like issues that users are contacting us about, they're edge cases. Mm. Like they're not simple things. They're nuanced. They require, you know, potentially multiple systems. They're, um, multiple scenarios, you know, different things going on, and that involves and that needs a human up until this point, anyway, um, to maybe you know, go, go around to a number of different teams or different 
points of contact to, to get that problem solved. And like I would be, I actually haven't been here you know, with COVID and everything. I haven't been in the contact center very recently. We do, we do still can listen into um, calls as well, but I'd be, you know, surprised if that wasn't still the case too. So those things are still going to be there. But obviously this technology does give us the opportunity to automate more uh, and do some of those things that previously we needed an agent to be able to understand that nuance and pull all the information from the different teams, different areas, and escalate a case to another department. Like, you know, we are, we, it allows us to do more of that. But my suspicion is it will just be replaced by, <laughs> by more and hopefully more valuable um, uh, interactions, right? So um, certainly customer education is becoming much more of a priority. I think you have, we have seen over time that support is definitely, and this is another kind of hype thing that I saw for a long time, but I think my sense is it's quite true. It's definitely becoming, it's more true now than it was before. Like support is and can be a differentiator particularly in industries where in a lot of cases the products are quite homogenous. Mm. Um, so companies have got to find other ways to, uh, to differentiate and having a really good support experience, a good onboarding experience um, can be, can be a huge part of that. So, um, so I think that's, I would expect that to continue and, and from a user perspective, like, my one of the big focuses I've always had during my career is like simplicity and effortlessness. So there's that quote, uh, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I think it was either Leonardo da Vinci or Steve Jobs or somebody in between. <laughs> but, uh, they both claimed it, I think. Um, but like, you know, and that's what a customer and, there's, you know, there's lots of research to back this up as well. Like, that's what a customer really wants. Yeah. They just want to, you know, just make it easy, really simple. I just want to, you know, okay, fine. We know, we all know things, problems happen, things come up, but, like, don't send me around the houses. Just yeah. make it yeah. easy and to get it solved. And that, you know, I, I, I think that is everybody's, that's what everybody's striving yeah. for. And you can see that, that companies have moved on. Like, there are, you still see them, but, like, there's less examples of, know letters to the irish times giving yeah. out about air, aircoms 1901 experience i'm sure or, there's still the odd one but yes less oh uh, yeah well yeah yeah but um i think you know i think i see that's where that's where the the overall the, yeah. the industry is going i think again while you were chatting there and it's actually such a valid point and we forget, particularly as technologists, we believe, well, not what we believe, sometimes we get lured into the, the misunderstanding that the only thing that's evolving and changing is us as technologies and the technologies that we build. But we forget that human nature and life is a constantly evolving um, process. And, mm. you know, so yes, while we automate, you know, some of the stuff, let's say, from a customer service that's simplistic now, I mean, if you look around your kitchen or your car or anything you do i mean it has changed the products and services we consume are constantly changing so therefore even mm. though we are automating what we believe from a customer experience thing are the easy thing to automate 
in two years' time, that has again changed. So there's always this. So I, I, I suppose I'm trying to. I, I agree with your point that everything is evolving, and you know the need for the complexity of the integrate or of the the support is always going to be there. And you know, again, technology I think will play catch up with what's being provided and the complexity of the products and services that that we are consuming. Um, and I think that's the challenge that sometimes we forget about. Yes, technology evolves rapidly, but it's not the only thing that's evolving. You know, consumers are evolving, the products and services we consume are evolving constantly, all the time. So, quite often in the technology space, we're we're playing catch up. Um, I think somebody with a quote was that the you know the psyche used to be uh, order, disorder, order, but actually in an ever evolving world, it's order, disorder, reorder, and that's the cycle that you're constantly living so you never actually go back to what's what is what is supposedly a stable base you're always constantly changing and evolving so um and and i think with the customer support consumer support we probably need to get that into our mindset more so than than just a, a kind of static we've solved the problems here and how can we use this technology as the products and services are changing um yeah yeah couldn't agree more Again, I suppose if you're to if you're to gaze forward, um, and look at the next, whatever I was going to say, five to ten years, but it could be a much shorter time span. Um, what do you think is, you know, either from a technology or from how we engage in customer support or customer experience? What do you think are is coming down the train track, so to speak, that we should be thinking about? Um, albeit maybe not next month, but in the next year or two. Or do you have anything you want to venture on that? Uh, uh, like, I mean, you know, who knows what new technology is going to come around the corner. But I think in the next, you know, in the next five years, I do clearly, I think there's going to be more conversational style support um, as, a, as a standard support offering for uh, that businesses offer to consumers. Um, I do, and I've always been a huge fan of the asynchronous element of chat, like chat, online chat, as I said, has been growing and traditional live chat. And, and you've started to see companies adopt the asynchronous element of that just because it's so much more convenient from a user perspective and also potential, potentially more efficient from a business as well. Um, so I expect that to, to increase. And just on, um, that, just on that point, I was going to ask yeah. it, it come back into my head. I mean, the technology mm-hmm. around async chat and async mesh, again, it's been around for probably a number of years and, and I'm actively working with some customers at the moment. And it's not the technology, mm. it's the organization of the support service yeah. in the background, the the you know, the agents and all of that they're struggling with. How can we yeah. actually move how do you staff it? Yeah, yeah, how do we staff it? How do we manage this system? Because quite often we default into will the tech works, will we know the tech works, but that's not the big problem. The big mm. big challenge, sorry, is how do I actually manage that from a staffing perspective, etc.? Yeah. You, yeah, it could be it's it, it's pretty challenging and I think that's probably also the reason why we haven't fully adopted it either. A lot of our chats are still live 
as an agent, but I think there are there are ways that you can do it. You know, utilizing the technology that's available to make sure that um, either that the conversation is kept with the same agent, mm-hmm. or if that agent comes offline, that it goes into a pool and somebody else picks it up, and that they can review the whole history before they respond. You know, there are there are potentially uh, ways around that. There are, but there's but, a big, uh, there's it a big is training a, training overhead, etc. Then, yeah. when you particularly when it, it's okay if it's a small number or a small agent base, but when you have thousands or tens of thousands yeah. of agents, then it becomes a significant undertaking. Yeah. But yeah, apart from that, I, I, I think it's, a, you know, things will continue to evolve. Voice will still be there, um, but maybe be a smaller part of the overall pie. Um, email, you know, will still be there in some cases because, and in most cases because it's regulatory. Yeah for regulatory requirements because, you know, most people don't like email. Well, it's, it's good from a user perspective, right? It's convenient, but the experience can be very poor. It can take a long time to get to get a problem solved if you get a reply at all, right? Um, but um, uh, as I said, I hope that the technology will allow us to continue making it a simpler and more effortless experience for our customers uh, when, when they need our help. I think that would be the Alleluia moment if, we, if, if most organisations could could get to that situation of making it as... Um, my great analogy, which I'll not repeat again, is the ATM model. You know, if you can just press a few buttons, it's a much simpler means of self-service to get cash out of a bank than standing in a queue talking to an agent or a teller or whatever, you know, so... Um, yeah. I think I think we'll um we'll go with the mantra of kiss. Is it keep it simple, stupid? Is the uh, I think yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, I'll, I'll dig out your Leonardo da Vinci quote. Is probably much 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 <laughs> better than that. Um, John, I'm also conscious we're we've probably run up against time, and I've usurped and utilised a lot of your time. Um, oh yeah, I'm not getting kicked out yet. You're not so. getting kicked out of the room yet, but um, yeah. um, we we probably will call it uh, a day. There, it's been great chatting to you i really appreciate that um, great to have you on the podcast and we'll definitely come back and revisit maybe we'll do a full one on asynchronous chat and messaging and how to overcome those challenges because i think leave aside the technology that's definitely one of the mm. things that the industry needs to try and understand it and combat but we'll hopefully revisit that at some point yeah sounds good over john lush thank you very much for your time it's been great to chat to you and we'll speak again soon You're most welcome. I'll see you soon.